welcome to The Near Memo, a weekly conversation about search, social, and commerce. What happened, why it matters, and the implications for local. All right, welcome to episode 28 of The Near Memo. Um, David Mim, Mike Blumenthal, and me, Greg Sterling, talking about the important uh, news items and developments of the week in local, social, and commerce. And we totally won't be talking about the UN climate change report today because it's just too depressing. So we're not going to talk about it. But we will be talking about other things that are interesting that happened this week, some of which we wrote about and some of which we have yet to write about. And uh, the first one of those uh, was in the most recent newsletter um, about Google's impact on local and regional uh, food delivery services and how Google's picking winners and losers in that space. And Mike, you, you wanted to talk about that. I, I did. I, it was in Fast Company. It was titled Local Food Delivery Company Say Google Devastated Their Business. It's a story of uh, independent food delivery services that existed long before Grubhub and DoorDash, were, which were growing 5 to 20% a year. And now they're year on year down 50, 60%. And they lay a large part of that to Google. And they recap in this article, the history of Google first testing uh, delivery in the local panel by, and way, the way they do that is they partner with one or two of the big guys who the, and they pull in the links. Nobody can change them, right? The links are there. And then the big guys like the, what they see. So then they go out and do some quote unquote growth hacking and add all fake websites for the, all the rest of the restaurants that aren't in there. They had all those links in creating this dynamic. And then ultimately Google changes it so that businesses can at least delete those links themselves ultimately. Uh, but it creates a dynamic which these small local delivery businesses are, de- you know, basically devastated. And it's, it spe- you know, I know in your newsletter, you noted that Google claimed that it helped consumers. This is very googly though. They test this with a very large customer and often only leave these features, make these features available to the very large people like DoorDash and Grubhub often excluding small and you know it creates a reality and then these grubhub and doordash can lose a gazillion dollars it doesn't matter because they're venture funded forever not forever but for a very long time and it just creates a dynamic in which the local business landscape is devastated and it's because google this is how google rolls they're basically oblivious to that to their impact and one of the things they want in partners is scale right you know, exactly. so, some, sometimes they cobble together scale by working with different regional companies. But one of the primary things they look for is 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 the kind of scale that that, that mirrors their capabilities. And in, by definition, these local and regional companies don't have it. Correct. And they often will test that without any user interface, which makes it hard on the businesses upon which they're testing it. So essentially, everybody's involved in this living experiment, whether you, whether you're a restaurant that wants to be or not. And then, of course, DoorDash and Grubhub leveraged it unethically as well. well. I was just going to say, often the companies, bizarre dynamic. often the companies with the highest scale have the lowest ethical bar. So um, it's really a an unfortunate situation for, um, in this case, small businesses of both tech and offline varieties caught in the middle. So, right, and it's not because Google is so. Con- is trying to deliver a benefit to the customer. They are, but they're also trying to do it in a way that's easy for them, which means at scale, right? So they take the easy route and it has all these unintended consequences. What, what's interesting here, I think, 
there were a couple of things that were interesting beyond what you've already said. One is um, that Google may be relatively benign in its intent here. They're not trying to put people out of business. They're trying to, you know, deliver a good experience to the consumer. And then because of their modus operandi, this is how they do it. But, and as you say, there are these unintended consequences. But then that's that's the second point, which is this seems to be a pretty clear kind of antitrust scenario in the sense that even though Google is doing this ostensibly for the benefit of the consumer, deliver a better experience for everybody, what's happening is that they are driving people out of business at the local <laughs> level, which eliminates competition, which will ultimately harm the consumer if you have only four, three or four giant food delivery companies, national companies that can then extort all kinds of fees and so on and so forth, notwithstanding the municipal efforts to push back on that. And so it's it's a pretty clear case, if, assuming everything uh, Fast Company says is true, between Google doing something and justifying it on the basis of better experience for the consumer and its impact, and its ultimately negative impact on the market and then in turn in the consumer. It's It's just a nice sort of capsule that really reflects all these things together, you know, in, in one kind of case study. Yeah. And I think Mike, you know, the, there isn't currently a vector of antitrust law that, um, that talks about harm to small businesses, but Mike and I have, have mentioned this for years in our old street fight columns, even, um, just that, that, that is not a direct consumer harm, but it does, as you just said, lead to indirect consumer harm, uh, in the future. And right now there really isn't a way to, to pursue that legally, as far as I know. So. Well, I mean, I think some of those arguments can be taken into account, but I think that's 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 a minority kind of that's a that's a that's not the same. That's the thrust is consumer harm, right. you know, and and this is this is a kind of delayed consumer harm scenario, which which I think increasingly people will recognize. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that the, there's there's a shift going on. There's the other side of it too, which is just the amazing impact that Google has on society in this regard. And you see it with their stupid business naming policy, where they allow businesses to rename themselves sort of willy-nilly to gain ranking uh, value. And you see all these businesses renaming themselves as San Diego personal injury lawyer. And now there's 10 San Diego personal injury lawyers. It's best like, Denver signs near it's me. It's a weird outcome. <laughs> yes, best Denver. That's right. I mean, it's just so bizarre. They have, it just speaks to their position in society and the and this impact that they do have is very significant but but in fairness and i mean i i don't want to speak to google's lax uh, sort of enforcement of spam quasi spam rules but i mean you know the yellow pages that was going on in in the analog world right aaa towing aaaa plumbing right there are people that did that it's just easier to do it now yes it is easier we were told the other day that we shouldn't report it unless there's at least four modifiers, two or three <laughs> they're going to overlook. What? Is that is that an official position? SEO tip of the no, year right no, no, there. No. Wow. That's, that's something I shouldn't be saying in public. Oh, but, but you have now. I, you have now, because Mike. Because it was so fucking stupid. Cat's out of the bag. Yeah. All right. Really a dumb one. Okay, and then uh, I think David, you 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 had another uh, local local story, very unrelated. Uh, about, but yeah, uh, so there's no, unfortunately, Greg, there's no way for you to segue. But I did find it a pretty fascinating uh, story and and a great piece of marketing actually from my local veterinarian, Northwest Neighborhood Vet uh, on Northwest Thurman in Portland. 
Um, so their their most recent, I would say, roughly monthly newsletter uh, just highlighted, a, I think, a totally underreported, at least I've not seen it, reported story of COVID. I think everybody has probably seen the fact that, oh, all of these you know dogs and cats and everything else got adopted over COVID because people were stuck at home um, and they needed a companion and blah, 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 blah. It was a great time to, to do that. And isn't this such a feel-good story? The flip side of that is, now that there's so many more pets out there, the shortage of veterinarians and clinical facilities, hospital facilities for pets is overwhelming. Um, veterinarians have been one of the highest suicide rate professions for a very long time. Uh, and the last year has probably only exacerbated the, the burnout and the emotional toll um, that they must have experienced. And so now, in addition to Delta, you know, causing a, a shortage of ICU beds for humans, COVID has also caused a shortage of, of you know, all kinds of care, uh, care facilities and, um, and caregivers for pe these pets. And I thought that was really fascinating and also highlighting a, a really great local newsletter, local business newsletter um, that didn't, I don't think, take a ton of time to put together if, if I think we'll link to it in, in our own newsletter. Uh, you know, it's, it's fairly basic in terms of its layout and doesn't do a lot of uh, best practice things such as call to action above the fold, um, you know, really uh, mobile. It's not particularly mobile friendly, um, but it's a really strong piece of content marketing uh, that helps me empathize uh, with, with a local business. And as a result, I actually had forgotten to get medication for our dog uh, and said, hey, can I schedule a contactless pickup for this in the next couple of days? So. Well, what's what's great about it? I mean, the, the the substance is kind of horrible about the shortage of beds and facilities and the suicide piece of it. It's terrible. But what's great about it is that it it delivers what local businesses are good at, which is sort of the human side of this business interaction. You know, here's a person and here's a human story, and that enables you to really identify and empathize with the business and makes you a more loyal customer in theory, as opposed to like a corporate. You wouldn't get that from a corporate pet pet chain, right? I mean, in all likelihood, they wouldn't they wouldn't give you that same right. Idea. And you wouldn't really. I mean, it's not the same thing as you know the electronics equivalent would be like, oh, Best Buy saying, oh, our our you know Geek Squad is overwhelmed. Like you don't have the same level of empathy, I think, for for unfortunately, in some cases, for sort of corporate employees. So it's interesting to speculate whether this bubble in pet ownership is kind of like a post-World War II baby boom <laughs> that will sort of well, just work its way through, or whether it is a more permanent change to the whole business environment and thus, uh, you know, will have to be dealt with over a number of years with winners and losers in some form or another, like many industries. Right. Well, I think, it, well, I mean, you know, the, the work from home or ahead. hybrid working uh, situation, I don't think is going away anytime soon, even if COVID does subside. Um, so I think that that could be a positive, a long-term positive in terms of the number of pets who find homes. Um, but I also, there was the, the flip side of that is that there have been reports of people taking their COVID pets back to the shelter, um, which is truly awful. So Awful for the pet. Yeah, exactly. I'm curious. Because they're going, because they're going, because back, they're to going back to work. Yeah. I'll see if I can find one of those links to, to share in the newsletter that's, as well. That's yeah. incredibly, yeah. incredibly selfish. Yeah. Yeah. Pet ownership is it hard. is hard, but it's totally worth it. <laughs> Highly recommend. Oh yeah. oh yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it, you got to yeah. do it. It's like having that's a child. Right. So there's no, there's no backing out. Of but I think, I think people don't realize. 
the amount of responsibility, the amount of emotional responsibility and logistical responsibility. Like we have a we have a dog that we got five years ago. I, I had pets growing up, but we got a dog five years ago. And now we have a cat that was a COVID pet. And we used to be able to sort of board the dog or give the dog to a neighbor that had other dogs. And now with the two pets, you know, the idea of vacations is almost an impossible, (laughs) impossible thing. You know, we have to get somebody to come in and sit for the cat. And it's just, it's challenging. But well worth it. We're going to end it on a positive note. So (laughs) before, yeah, but we're not, I know before we turn it over to you, we can, we can come. Yeah. That's the, before the commercial break. (laughs) Um, so the, 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 I mean, there are a lot of, there, there are always a lot of interesting stories. One of the most interesting stories, which I'll digress for a moment that I didn't write about was this, this outdoor furniture company. I, I linked to it, but I didn't write a piece about it uh, called outer and what they've done to, it's a direct to consumer brand, but what they've done in order to create a physical presence is that they've turned their buyers into showrooms, right? They've, they've created incentives for their local buyers, people in communities to invite other people into their homes to see this outdoor furniture, which I think is just super interesting. Sort of like an Airbnb style approach to physical stores. It's super creative, super interesting. I wanted to write about that, but I didn't. Maybe I'll do something like that later. But anyway, that that was fascinating. It, is it kind of like the home sale thing, but it's just a fixed location as opposed to No, no, to no, that. no. So you you buy this you buy the furniture, right? You buy this company's furniture, and then I don't know what the particular business relationship is or the the um, you know what the, what they give you in exchange. A loyalty fee or you, referral you fee or something. Yeah, something, yeah. something. Yeah. So you get. It's, I'm sure it's in the original piece. So oh, but you then give you your, invite friends into your house. To you, see. you 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 make your house available to people in your community, maybe selectively, maybe for a period of time, and they come in and they chat with you and look at the furniture and say, "Oh, what do you think of it?" And so it's both a physical store presence and a word of mouth experience at the same time, which is pretty interesting, and it has more credibility than an in-store sales rep. I just thought that was a really creative, <laughs> interesting direct consumer and eliminates the need for store. leasing real estate. <laughs> Yeah, true. It doesn't work that well with Casper beds. So. <laughs> no. Yeah, come into my house and sleep. Right. So yeah, bed. try my bed. It's really comfortable. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, Casper actually has physical distributors. Okay, yeah, so I... here's here's the real item. The real item is is the uh, the story on um, on that appeared originally in the Wall Street Journal and then was picked up by other outlets where some Amazon sellers are offering cash incentives and harassing customers who write negative reviews. So I write a negative review under the guise of a customer service interaction. The company comes back to me and says, hey, we want to, reviews are important. We want to make it right. We'll give you a refund. Um, And, you know, as a kind of quid pro quo for taking down your review. And if you, if you decide you don't want to take down the review, then they follow up and they hassle you. You're not, they're not supposed to have your email address, but there are all kinds of companies in the background that are providing that information. And so they essentially stalk you and and try and badger you into taking down your reviews, sometimes with payment, sometimes, you know, with 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 just persistent harassment. And it's it's sort of the flip side to companies offering financial incentives, like here's your $25 reward, give us a good review. These are pretty insidious and difficult to police situations. And increasingly, you know, the form of review manipulation, it's they're not fake reviews exactly, but it's 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 review manipulation, which is um, is really an interesting 
and 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 has it's the same, e- equally deceptive. It right? has the same. It has impact. the same ultimate impact on the consumer because you're looking at all these positive reviews, but what you're not seeing is the reviews that have been removed, which which may I- illustrate the product's flaws or whatever. I had a lawyer client who, whenever he got a bad review, he'd call them up and offer him $100 to take it down. And did they take it down? Most all the time. And then finally, I said, look, you don't want to be a 5.0. You're better off having some negatives. The people with the most sales are, you know, but, four to four but that's, five. But that's so he to- left a few of them up. Yeah, exactly. That's a totally different <laughs> – that's a totally different – uh, argument than the ethical <laughs> argument, right? That's a pra- that's a tactical argument. Uh, but I was like, I was losing on the on the uh, ethical argument. It's like this guy had gotten A's his whole life. You know, I could he was. I imagine his mother was squawking at him his whole life about getting A's, and he got A's and got A's through law school, and he was going to get A's on his reviews. That's the end of the story. You know, it's like jeez. Well, I mean, it, it it raises in my mind increasingly. I'm working on finally. I'm sort of writing this. We Uber all did this research on fake reviews. With the with what Curtis Boyd, it's now he's now calling himself the transparency company, and I'm finally writing the report, and so I'm I'm pretty deep in all these issues, and it just makes me think longer term about the credibility of reviews, you know, just as a just the utility of reviews, and and there is growing distrust, but still the brands Google, Amazon are highly trusted and highly used by people, you know, people still look at reviews as a primary factor in who they work with. And you did that whole thing with the, the, the forklift company, the guy got totally ripped off by fake reviews, you know? Yes. Well, and for Google, it's, I think they see reviews, you know, they they have enough hubris. They think they can remove the noise from the reviews and extract the value of the data, but have very little understanding of the impact of their 20 or 30% fake reviews. On the world, it's a similar story. Well, that circles back to the first story in, in in a very similar way. Scale, and they'll figure it out after they've got the scale, and they don't really care about the individual story behind it. So that's not the number we came up with for Google Google uh, local, you know, for the Google My Business. But it, it's a conservative it's a conservative number. So when we came fifteen percent, ten. No, it was, we we ca- I think it's. I have to go back and look at the total. It's something. It's something over eleven percent. But it's again, right. it's a sort of a cautious number. Probably very category, category dependent as well, though. It very category yeah. dependent, very locale yeah. dependent. I mean, yeah, lawyers so, in Los so Angeles. Precisely. And- so I'll tell you, pharmacies had the lowest uh, and the highest, I think, were uh, uh, locksmiths, as you would expect. Garage door and, repair. <laughs> um, and right. moving, moving companies were very high. Huh. And Boston was came out. At, I mean, I don't I, I have to I'm revisiting all of this. So I'm speaking sort of loosely here. But uh, Boston, I think, was the most honest city in America, hmm. and Miami, St. Petersburg, was the most. Dishonest Those are two different America. cities, Miami and St. Petersburg. Oh well, it's a metro area, MSA. It's an MSA. So Tampa, no. Tampa so or Miami? T- well, whatever, whatever. What is the close <laughs> city to Miami? I never go to Florida. What is uh, Miami, Fort Miami. Lauderdale, maybe. Fort Lauderdale okay. is what okay. I meant. Not St. Petersburg. Okay. St. Petersburg is totally somewhere yes. else. Sorry, I apologize to all Floridians. <laughs> um, uh, Saint P- uh, Fort Lauderdale Fort is what Lauderdale. I meant. Miami Fort Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, but it's I'm funny. It's funny what it. metro area our former president uh, now resides in is 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 the least honest. It's a part to- of to- totally appropriate. Yeah. It's totally appropriate. All right. Well, that so, seems like we've reached the end right, of that. So thread. we're done. We're out of time. <laughs> we're out of time. Yes, we're out of time for this week. But thank you, everybody, again for. 
listening and uh, for subscribing to the newsletter. And any final words from you guys? Just be safe out there. Stop eating meat and driving gasoline-powered cars. Thanks for joining David, Mike, and Greg. To stay on top of the latest developments in local, subscribe to our newsletter at nearmedia.co. We'll see you next week.